It is 9.30 on the dot. Ooh. And we will go ahead and get started. I'm sorry, my coffee cup's Oh, no, it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I have, including this Sunday school, I have two left, technically. Now, I don't know. I may petition, depending on how this goes. May petition Hal or you know and others if I can do one more. Because um, I think, well, I'm not going to give it away, but I think in this lesson there's more th- that we could say, and that I think probably should be said. Far edification. I mean, we could do it. We could do without it. But anyway, but um, so yeah, that's just kind of uh, so. So the tentative plan is to. Finish um, this week, tentative plan, finish this week on Christ the Mediator, and then go into the Lord's Supper and how that relates to sort of all this. So I'm hoping with everything that we've seen so far, um, how, how, all, like how our theology, especially when we start at the top, you know, God, how it informs everything else. Um, so I know I've said that every time, but I, I, I think it's worth repeating. So if you want to, so um, I'm going to come from Hebrews 1, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 today. I know I've uh, uh, quoted this verse, we've talked about this verse many times before, but it's just so excellent. Um, it really is. Um, the book of Hebrews in general is excellent. In fact, I would say a little side note, if you wanted a uh, concise uh, biblical exposition on Christology without having to read the entire Bible, of course, you could go to the book of Hebrews and be quite, come away with quite a lot. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Um, and then, of course, after we read this, we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. This is the word of God. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for, uh, for your word, for your prophecy that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for uh, Christ the mediator as we, have, um, as we have studied. Lord, that he holds this threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. May we see it all throughout your word today. And Lord, I pray that as we go into worship, Lord, all of these things will be, will be in, in, in edification to us, Lord, that they would indeed not only prepare us for worship, but show us how precious our Savior is, um, how wonderful uh, and, and, and great and, and mighty He is in those offices. And Lord, help us to contemplate them, illumine us with Your Spirit. Lord, we love You and thank You in Your name. Amen. Okay, so... Um, I 
I hope, you know, so, 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 so as far as we've talked about today, um, and I'm going to go ahead and write this. Um, so, mediator, Christ is mediator. I've come to love the board now. I like it. I like it. My wife isn't here to see me do that. Um, so, um, and when we say Christ as mediator, we're referring to Christ as fill in the blanks, prophet, okay, priest, and king, okay. So, yeah, I mean, like, certainly, certainly by now, I think, um, I mean, even before all this, I think we could, most of us could probably rightly say that um, we know this already, like, it's ingrained into our minds, hopefully. Uh, but, but I'm hoping we've shown kind of the necessity of that already. So we're kind of building off of that. So in those verses that we just saw, uh, it says, it actually shows just really concisely in the, opening, in the opening four verses of Hebrews, if you look closely. Again, lots of stuff here. Um, we've already pointed out uh, the Son's divine nature uh, through these verses. But, it, but if you look at the very first sentence, as it were. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. So obviously, you know, so far as we're concerned in the Old Testament, he spoke through other, other men, through dreams, visions, things like that, you know, prophecy generally. Um, but in these last days, he has spoken to us, so completed revelation in his son. Okay, so do you see the prophetic office of Christ there? I think that's pretty, you know, pretty straightforward. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he's the radiance of his glory. It gives some, you know, some, some uh, substantial implications to that here. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, when he had made purification of sins, now, I think, I think we could go and say that's, that's, part and parcel to his priestly office, right? So when he had made purification of sins, he sat down, his works accomplished, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they, pointing to his kingly office. He is established in his kingship there. So again, like we said, I just wanted to demonstrate real quickly things we've already been saying. That when we say mediator, one of the main things we need to think of is, especially in regards to Christ, of course, um, is that he is prophet, priest, and king. Okay, so that's, that should be established. Now, if we go to our confession of faith, we go to our confession of faith, and I've tried my best to kind of work through the, entire cha- the entirety of chapter 8, uh, kind of skipping around. But if we go to our confession of faith in paragraph 9, chapter 8, paragraph 9, It says this regarding the office of mediator. The office of mediator between God and man is proper only to Christ, who is the prophet, priest, and king of the church of God, and may not be either in whole or in any part thereof transferred from him to any other. And that last part's actually really important. I may say a little bit more about it in a minute. I haven't decided yet. Um, so, 
Christ is the prophet, priest, and king of what? Of what? Well, yeah, the church. So, and I'll get more into this later, but he has a specific kingdom. Okay. That's not to say he doesn't rule over all the earth. Of course he does. Um, But when we're talking about in a covenantal context, which this is alluding to, we're talking about his kingship over his people, which are the church. Okay. So, again, when we talk about the work of mediation, we, talk, we say that Christ holds a threefold office. Further, again, still reviewing just a little bit. I know I, just, I can't resist doing this, just reviewing a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, if we think about all we've said before, not to sort of beat the dead horse. I don't know a better analogy. It's... I know it's gruesome to think about sometimes. Um, at least for me it is. Um, but, but it says, this office of mediator between God and man is proper only to Christ. Because, as we've said before, taking, account, taking into account everything we've said in previous lessons, okay? Because that statement is grounded in A. Okay, so the statement's grounded in A what? We said that Christ has, I coined a term here. There you go. Metaphysical equipment. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so, so, in other words, we're, we're, we're talking about the reality of the union of the two natures. All right, great. And B... The execution of his threefold office, okay? And so we said that had to do with his acts as mediator, right? To put it shortly. Right? Okay. So, it follows that, A, if Christ is the only one who is equipped to be our mediator, then, B... He is the only one that can execute the offices of mediator. Should be good so far. That is, it is he and he only that can not only accomplish the work of mediator given to him by the Father, for he did so. Okay? But he, it is he and he only who can, and this is very important, because I think sometimes we think just in terms of the incarnation only. So Christ's time on earth, his earthly ministry. Okay? But... He, he is the only one who can continue to act according to that threefold office. Okay? So we affirm, it's important to note this, it's, we affirm that he's not only mediator as he's here on earth. He surely is. He acts as prophet, priest, and king while he's here on earth. But, he's, but more importantly for us, being at this distance in history, um, he acts continually according to that threefold office. Okay? All right. So... Going to our confession again, chapter 8, paragraph 8. So I'm going to actually back one. I want you to see this. I want you to see that threefold office, okay? To all those for whom Christ hath obtained eternal redemption, so this is him as mediator, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them, uniting them to himself by his spirit. Okay, so if we stop right there, what do you see? I know I'm beating the dead horse. I understand. But what do we see according to that? What office do we see, I should say? 
priestly office. Yeah, that's what, by, by and large, I think the priestly office is spelled out here. Well, let's, uh, okay, let's talk somebody else. I apologize. Um, the, ne- the very next statement is revealing unto them in and by the word. First of all, revealing unto them. And note the mode here for us, the word. The mystery of salvation, persuading them to believe and obey. So, if you were to have to guess an office there, which one would it be? You have two choices. Prophetic office. Excellent. So, as we continue, governing their hearts by his word and spirit and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom, so on and so forth. I'm not going to read the rest because I know I'll end up running out of time here. Um, What office do you see there? Kingly office. Excellent. Now, I want to just briefly make an aside here. If we affirm all the things that we just said, I think there are some things in the background that we can um, draw from this as far as a reformed view on certain things. So, and I'm going prophet, priest, and king here. So the reformed position on uh, the continuation of the spiritual gifts, we would take a position of cessationism. Correct? Specifically here, when we talk about cessationism, we speak to prophecy, right? Now, I know there's tongues and things like that that we could argue about, but that's not what I want to go in here today. But, but our confession here is sort of, sort of tipping the hat toward in that direction because if we talk about cessationism, especially in regards to prophecy, or we say that prophecy continues... We've already affirmed that Christ has already provided us finally and fully prophecy as being the culmination of the prophet, right? So if we're going to say that there's new supplemental or additional whatever revelation, then what are we, what are we denying as far as chapter 9 of our confession goes? I know you may not have it in front of you, so I'll just say... Any part thereof transferred from him to any other. Right? Okay. Now, of course, in the background of all this is mediatorship. And specifically as it regards Roman Catholicism. Okay? So, of course, you have in Roman Catholicism prayers to the saints and to Mary. Right? In this way... Who is acting as, in some sense, I mean, they might argue with you, but I know they're going to argue with you about, well, we're not really, you know, whatever. Um, But in some sense, you're assuming a mediatorial role of someone other than Christ, right? Wouldn't you say so? I think so. The last thing is, is, I mean, again, the framers and the the people who wrote this confession certainly have this in mind, especially how near they were to Roman Catholicism. Um, Regarding the ruler and the head of the church. The ruler and the head of the church. Okay. So, in Roman Catholicism, they would say, to some extent, or in some sense, that the ruler and head of the church is in some way delegated to... The Roman pontiff, right? The Pope. Um, In fact, he takes on a name, right? What is that name that you would, if you you remember? 
Yeah, the vicar of Christ. So what does that mean? Or, uh, someone who takes the place of. Takes the place of. So who, who is actually the vicar of Christ? Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? Christ. Well, who is the vicar of Christ? So, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Exactly. So we see there the kingship of the church also has implication in, in some sense is being denied by our Roman Catholic friends. I'm trying not to pick on them too harshly, but that's the way it is. Um, okay, moving on. And, see, and this is where we're really going to get into it. Um, paragraph 10, chapter 8 of our confession. The num- this number and order of offices is necessary. For in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetical office, and in respect of our alienation from God, and in perfection of the best of our services, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable unto God. And in respect to, to our adverseness and utter inability to return to God and for rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need his kingly office to convince Subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to his heavenly kingdom. Okay. So, the point of all that is that for a full understanding, I hope we've shown so far, for a full understanding and articulation of the mediatory work of Christ, we must understand the necessity for the number and the order of the offices. Okay. I want you to really hone in on that. Okay, now we've already shown, we've already shown in part that necessity in terms of man's need. Okay, in terms of man's need. So William Ames, and this is actually where the confession is borrowing from, William Ames in the Marrow of Theology says this, this number and order of offices is shown, first by men's necessity, grievously, grievously, laboring under ignorance, alienation from God, and disability to return to him, the first of which is held by the prophecy of Christ, the second by his priesthood, and the third by his kingdom. Okay, that makes sense. But what I want to know and what we want to focus on today is why is this office of mediator threefold as it relates to Christ, though? As it relates to Christ. Okay, everybody following me. Now, the two certainly overlap with respect to man, with respect to Christ. But as respect to Christ, why do we say the threefold office is three, that is, no more and no less? Okay? So I'm hoping we answer that question. Um, and I really think the answer here, by the way, I'm, I'm taking all this from like one lecture and that book over there. So if you want, I mean, if you come across these things and you hear me saying something verbatim, I mean, yeah, just, just, just know that. Um, but the point is, and, and, and this is what I really love, I think the answer to this question, you know, why is the threefold office three? It lies in the word or title Christ. Christ, okay? So think about that. When we say, it's over here. When we say Christ, I wonder if I can, yeah, that's going to be better than me trying to struggle against the, the water. Um, 
So when we say Christ, what do we mean by that? Anointed. Yeah, so in the Old Testament, what would the... So that would be... That would be Messiah, yeah. So that's so Christ is Messiah, same thing. But but the key here is what you just said. So it means anointed. Now, I'm certainly not the first one to notice this, but uh, this is where a little biblical theology comes in. In the Old Testament, in the old, as you can see how shaking say, um, in the Old Testament, there were. I'm not good. I'm giving it away, but I'm trying to. I'm trying to ask it in terms of a question. Um, there were three offices in which one was made acceptable to execute um, by anointing. Can you guess what they were? Prophets. Now I'm not saying that you see it in every single instance. But prophets, priests, and kings all are anointed. And I would go on to say they are chosen by God himself, um, to, put it, to put it bluntly. So, the basic, and I think the basic answer to the question um, is, because the Reformed, especially Calvin, um, actually noted this, they note that in the Old Testament, there are these three offices that, that were being anointed. Um, so it's easy to see that these offices then, especially when we regard them as all as, in the Old Testament, they would be regarded as types. Okay, what does that mean? Is that an unfair question? Yeah, types. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. So, so the, what I said, um, I, I wasn't being put on the spot, so I had a little more, a little more time to uh, try to tease it out. So, they're types. Those offices are types, meaning they're something. They are something that signifies or points to and anticipates a greater and better fulfillment or completion later. Okay? So, the... I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Okay. Um, so, and just to show you, um, this, this, is, this, was a, this is not... I mean, this is like a... There's a huge consensus, if not almost universal consensus among the Reformed in this aspect, okay? So, even in like, so there are many catechisms that talk about this, but it's even in their catechisms. So I went with the Heidelberg, because I like the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, question 31 asked this, okay? It, said, it actually asked, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Why is he called Christ as anointed? Answer, because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption and to be our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us and also to be our eternal king 
who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in that salvation he has purchased for us. So, let's go, let's try to go at least, let's try to go a little deeper. So, prophet. Let's talk about prophet first. Doing a little biblical, biblical theology, to the best of my ability anyway. Um, prophet. Uh, you can turn there if you want to, but Deuter- I, think, I think one of the best verses that establish what we're talking about when we say types here is Deuteronomy 18. So Deuteronomy 18, uh, specifically verses 15 through 19, and I'll go ahead and read it for you. It says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, Moses speaking here, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up, sorry, I just got chill bumps. Um, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So some observations regarding prophet. Observations. Um, let me know if you can't see. Observations. Uh, what do I have down here? Sorry. Uh, the first one, the basic one, I'm actually not going to write this down. The word of the Lord must be made known from the Lord. I know that sounds like, oh, yeah, of course. But it's, I mean, it's, it's something that we, that we really need to think about. The second thing is, and a little, I mean, a little more profound to me is that the prophet must be from among the people, Right? Among, from among the people. So it says, from your countrymen you shall listen to him. From your countrymen you shall listen to him. Now, I'm hoping to tie this to Christ in a minute, so bear with me. The next thing I think that we see, especially, I need to put this right here. The next thing we see is this being said. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, lest I die. Hmm. A sinful people cannot, and I don't think, and will not, hear the very words of God. The words of God to the ears and hearts of sinners is indeed a dreadful thing. Therefore, a prophet is needed to serve as mediator, as we saw Moses, right? Did? Everybody follow me? So, um, I'm going to just write sinful people. Does that make sense? Any questions? The third thing, or the, the last thing that I would observe here, is that 
the words of God show us what is required of us. Of course, we know this. If it is required of us to obey the law of God, it is required of every man then, so we're moving from the type here, of every man then to believe, to have faith in Christ. Would we even say, and and I'll ask this as a question, would we even say that it is the duty of everyone to believe the gospel? Absolutely. Else it will be required of him. A prophet is needed to declare what is required of us. Right? So the content of the revelation. So... Okay. That's content. If you can't read it, sorry. Um, now, this is Moses, the type, acting as a prophet, giving the terms of the covenant on Sinai. Contrast this, if you want to, with Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, especially. This speaking of Christ, this speaking of the revelation of the requirements of the gospel, of all that goes with it, of Christ. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If a just recompense and judgment was executed by transgressing of the law through Moses, right? So there were certainly, there were certainly uh, civil ordinances. There were certainly things to rule the nation of Israel, punishments for transgressing the law. If a just recompense and judgment was executed by the transgressing of the law spoken through Moses, what will be the just recompense if we reject the gospel spoken by Christ? Now, certainly... Transgressing the law in the Old Testament often resulted in death. Okay, but here's here, here's the here's the anti-typical portion. I'll explain what that means in a minute. Here's the anti-type portion. So you get punishment with the civil law, right? May or may not be death. It's physical death, but it may not may or not be death. What's the result of the punishment for disobeying the gospel? Eternal death. Eternal death. Yeah. So, Christ is the antitype. Just go ahead and say it. And what is an antitype? I'll give someone an opportunity here. Exactly. Yeah. So, what the type's pointing towards, and this is very important. This is again, I must stress, this is the point of what we're trying to establish today. Christ is the antitype, the greater, better, and final fulfillment of the office of prophet. The one who is in the very bosom of the Father has come to explain the very will of God to his people. He gives us the content of the covenant, doesn't he? The new covenant. Okay, I'm going to erase this. What about priest? Priest. 
tried it. Uh, I'm just gonna. <laughs> Okay, priest. So uh, for this, um, for lack of time, I'll just simply say literally the entire book of Hebrews. That's my demonstration. Okay, <clears throat> so if you, uh, with specific emphasis, I will say this, on chapter 7 through 9. Okay, specific emphasis there. Um, compare that with Leviticus 16 regarding the Day of Atonement. Okay, regarding the Day of Atonement. Um, so if you, don't, if you don't have something today to read, if you're trying to look for something to read today, read, the, read those things and kind of compare and contrast there. Um, so what was the function of a priest in the Old Testament? What was his job? Sacrifice, which? Atonement, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask. I'm drifting off to um, so sacrifice and atonement. And what else? Yeah, to pronounce blessing, and we could derive from that. There's another word. Inter- intercession. You're not wrong. I just blessing. Yes, to pronounce blessing. So the, the function of the priest in the Old Testament was to make atonement, offer sacrifice, and to intercede. So, again, some observations here. The priest is, again, and again, I didn't go into any specific passages, but he's to be from among the people, isn't he? He's to be from among the people. Um, specifically, the Israelites, specifically the Levites, specifically the sons of Aaron, Right? But the other thing is, the priest is to make atonement and sacrifice on behalf of the people. We already said this, and he's to intercede from the, for the people. Yet, as the priests of old were still types, as in men, that not only had to... I'm erasing a lot, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not sorry, but... So, they had to make sacrifices continually. They had to, in other words, they had to continually perform their office to make sacrifice, to pronounce blessing, um, uh, to intercede, so on and so forth. <clears throat> and, and this is, this is exactly what Hebrew says, they died and passed their office to another. That's important. Christ, on the other hand, the antitype, makes a better final sacrifice and since he forever lives as the God-man, his once-for-all sacrifice is fully, I say fully, fully efficacious. I shouldn't put that on your type. Anyway, fully efficacious. Does that make sense? Do we see the difference between the type and the anti-type? That's key. Um, okay, what about king? What about the office of king? So if you want there, you can turn, if you want to, you can turn to Deuteronomy 17, um, uh, 14 through, I think just 14 through 15. Um, 
14 through 15. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 15. <clears throat> it says, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, um, the land there is important as a type as well, but we won't go into that. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. And what, 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 for anybody that has it open, what does it say next? One from among your brothers, one from among your countrymen, you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Christ must from be among the people, but not in, the, not in just the sense of among the people of uh, being man, but he must be specifically a, from a people of a certain kingdom, if that makes sense. Okay, so I hope you see where I'm going with that. Um, so... There was to be no foreign king to rule over Israel, and that for good reason as a type. Go to 1 Samuel, if you want, 8, 4 through 6. Um, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. And then it says, but the, king, but the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, give the king to judge us. Um, so some observations here, uh, real quick. Um, observations here. Okay, yeah, so the king, the king is a type. Uh, is subject to God, right? Sort of his vice regent. <clears throat> okay? The king is subject to God. Um, and not only that, the king is to enforce God's laws. Is he not? He's, a, he's to enforce God's law. He is even, especially in the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, um, is to have a copy of the law written for him. Why is that? Why is, he, what, why is he supposed to have a copy of the law? It doesn't say that the people have their own personal copy of the law, but why is the king? So that he knows it and judge according to it. Yeah, he's to, he's to enforce it. He's to enforce it, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, again, the king shall be among the people. We already said that. The king shall again execute judgment... And, and this, this is important for us, and go ahead or before the people and fight their battles for them. Okay, and fight in their battles for them. So we see this function as king. I know I didn't write them all up there, but we see this function of king throughout all the Old Testament. Throughout all the Old Testament. Yet, we see a greater king. A king not only chosen from among the people, being a man, but a king that goes out before the people to fight on their behalf and executes judge, judgment among them. Remember, where does, I can't remember what verse it is, where it's from, but where does judgment start? Finish the verse. It begins in the house of the Lord. 
Um, that's not to say he won't judge the world in the consummation. But it's relevant because it's a covenantal context. Okay. <clears throat> he brings the law to bear upon them and inscribes it upon their hearts. He rules them even by the power of his word. And he is, and he is, the, and he is greater, but rules perfectly and establishes his kingdom, which shall have no end. And this is, this is very much worth noting. Who is his kingdom? We kind of already said it. But who is this kingdom? The church. Yeah. The church. And I'll go on, I'll go on to point out that in the consummation, when his kingdom is over all the new heavens and the new earth, um, who, who will be the people of that kingdom? The church, right? Yeah. So, we have a prophet, a priest, and a king, one who fulfilled those offices because he is the God-man. He is Christ. He is anointed to do so. And he not only fulfills those offices, and this is why there are three. He not only fulfilled those offices, but is the culmination, the fulfillment, the telos of those very offices. Okay, this is, this is what the Old Testament points to. Okay, final revelation of prophet, priest, king, everything terminates in Christ. Okay, Christ is the ultimate anointed of all those offices. Okay, that's really my point today. Now, I wanted to get into, and I'll let I don't know. I guess me and Hal will have to talk. Um, our confession said that these three offices were necessary not only in three, but also in order. So we say prophet, priest, and king for a reason. Um, I don't have time to get into that today, but maybe we can do one more lesson. What? Go ahead. You can summarize it real quick. Um, prophet, he stands on a mountain, he speaks down to his people, right? The priest. He comes back up the mountain to represent the people to God. And the king is on top of the mountain to rule in the place of God and over the people. That's the idea. Yeah. That's as simple as I want to Well, like to do, like, no, 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 no. It's, it's, there's been contention um, historically, even in the Reformed community, on which way it should be said. But I think the point is, is that it follows not only the you know, historical order of salvation, but also the... Ordo salutis, logical order of salvation, too. So, people that, put an emphasis on the king, and there is a culmination of order is important. Yeah. Right. And there is, um, and, and if I did another, I mean, I'm, since you summarized it and ruined my idea, um, uh, I'll just say that there, there, <laughs> with various viewpoints, um, especially regarding eschatology, there's sometimes an overemphasis on each on one of those offices. I don't know if you've ever if you've noticed that, but um, um, I don't know if we have any premillennialists. I'm not trying to pick on you if there are, but like there's an overemphasis on the kingly office, for example, that he comes to rule. Um, <clears throat> modern evangelicalism, in general, they don't consider often his kingship or his prophetic office, but focus on his priestly office, 
and that's kind of kind of it. You know, so it's important that we that we look at all of those, and that's why the order is important too. Um, to put it simply, that's really all I have. I think. Um, okay, we did pretty good. See, I started on time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, are there any questions, comments, concerns, corrections? Anything? Okay, this is the first time. Then. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I wasn't going to go into specifics. I was just <clears throat> post-millennialism. <clears throat> Over-realization. Anyway. <clears throat> uh, being, being a millennialist, that's my only... Sm- <laughs> um, just kidding. I'm not kidding, but you know. Um, Tony, would you pray for us? If you don't mind. Thank you for this church leadership and we pray over the preaching of your word.